Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. When we hear the words uh, of Jesus on the Sermon of the Mount, he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Luke says, Blessed are, are the poor, they shall inherit the kingdom. Beati paupere spiritu. Well, these words, uh, these perennial words from the Sermon of the Mount, can be an occasion for us now to see how they applied to St. Joseph. Can it be said of St. Joseph, blessed are the poor in spirit, or blessed are the poor? Was he just physically, financially, was he materially poor? Well, on one hand, we know that Joseph did not live a life of ostentation, he did not have uh, a wealth of material goods. He lived a simple life. But he was not among the poorest of the poor. That is, he was not among the poorest in society of that time. He was not among the totally abandoned masses that were kind of bedraggled and homeless, that lived from hand to mouth, or that begged. Our Lord had a lot of mercy on those people who suffered. Those would have been, at least in that time, what might be considered the lowest, uh, the lowest in society in terms of the poor. And that the Lord gave them hope and much consolation. But Joseph had a trade. He had a trade. He was an expert, he was, he was a professional. He worked for a living, as did so many others. He sold his services, he sold, uh, he sold objects, probably sometimes to people in uh, difficult circumstances. He maybe did work for free sometimes, extra work with maybe little compensation, sometimes no compensation at all. He would probably, we don't know this for sure, but we know that he was just, and he never charged more than was necessary. But he was, he was a worker. He was a worker. And we, today in this month of March, we feel particularly identified with him because he worked, because he worked for a living. And he worked hard, he worked daily, 
But the, he did not seek to rest uh, or goof off after a hard day's work. He had a deep sense of mission and a deep sense of responsibility for what he did. He was blessed because his heart was full of compassion and he had a deep sense of service. And we, in particular, feel identified with him because he was just an ordinary guy. He was an ordinary guy. And we learn from Joseph in our work to remain faithful, to keep at it, even if our work can sometimes be somewhat monotonous, somewhat, let's say, dry. And sometimes we have to endure evils that are afflicted upon us or hardships. Pope Francis, when he went to Sweden, to a place called Malmo in Sweden in 2016, he proposed to a crowd there that I presume was largely non-Catholic, mainly, I suppose, Lutheran. He proposed a series of adapted modern Beatitudes. It's not that he's rejecting, the, obviously, the, the ancient Beatitudes, but he gave them a twist. He said, Blessed are those who remain faithful while enduring evils inflicted on them by others and forgive them from their heart. Blessed are those who look into the eyes of the abandoned and marginalized and show them closeness. Show them closeness. Blessed are those who see God in every person and strive to make others also discover him. You see, those, those are some of the things that we identify with and that St. Joseph certainly, certainly lived. Blessed are those, the Pope said, who protect and care for our common home. The common home, obviously, the earth, the world, the environment, but also our home, the, the daily life in the home, that it's clean, that it's that it's uh, in order. And uh, that's why we can say, blessed is the administration who takes care of our home. And which they haven't been able to do lately. Unfortunately. So we are the ones that are blessed now because we have to do that. We have right now people going into your cupboards, and, well not your cupboards, but your closets to find the cleaning stuff and figure out how to use this stuff. We learn from Joseph in our work to remain faithful while enduring, as the Pope says, evils inflicted on them by others. Others can be people who are committing injustices, of course. And I would suppose uh, Joseph must have been frightened by the injustice of Herod, but also the injustices around him maybe the injustice of his time. He would have seen maybe the Pharisees or the publicans of his time that weighed down people with heavy burdens. Of course, there were good Pharisees, there were good publicans, tax collectors. There were good ones, of course. 
But they didn't have a good reputation, which means that most of them were not that good. In other words, many of them were unjust. But Joseph, maybe he had been taxed unjustly, he would have forgiven them with all his heart and continued with his work. And so if we, if we have seen the role of St. Joseph during this year of St. Joseph in terms of his fidelity and his being a man of prayer, as we saw, we also have to have recourse to him in the way we work, in the way we work. That's why the Pope has written this encyclical letter, Patris Corde, with the Father's heart. And he praises, he praises Joseph, uh, but underlines above all his normality. Like he was a normal guy. He's like an everyday guy. And indeed, the Pope says that so many normal people have been uh, affected by this uh, by this pandemic. So many normal people. He said, this is what the Pope said at the opening of this encyclical. He said, my desire to do so increased during these months of pandemic when we experienced amid the crisis how our lives are woven together and sustained by ordinary people. People often overlooked People who do not appear in newspapers and magazines, headlines, or on the latest television show. Yet these very days are surely shaping decisive events of our history. And then he mentions them. Who are these ordinary people? Doctors, nurses, shopkeepers, supermarket workers, cleaning personnel, cleaning personnel. Uh, caregivers, transport workers, men and women working to provide essential services and public safety, volunteers, priests, priests, men and women religious, and so many others. See the, the list of ordinary people. Of course, he doesn't mention politicians, you know, but uh, these so many others that he says, of course, include uh, the administration in Lincroft and other places that have perhaps been been affected by by the pandemic, by COVID, not just by the actual uh, infection, but also just by the results of the pandemic in general. Because you provide a service, you give stability to allow the machinery to run smoothly until you yourselves fall victim uh, to the virus. The virus doesn't distinguish it just goes after whoever. But in some ways, more after ordinary people. Maybe Joseph would have gotten the virus too. He would have fallen victim. Because nobody is isolated. Nobody is wrapped in bubble wrap and, and protected. You know, we have this new term now that we've gotten used to hearing and and we think it's quite normal. We call, we call it social distancing. We have to socially distance. And we understand that it's important to social distance as a, as a uh, responsible thing to do to avoid contagion. But we're not made to be distant from each other. We're not made to be socially distant, to be cut off, because we need each other. We need to be interconnected. We need to not only look at each other directly, but 
but uh, talk and uh, and do all those things that eventually do bring about some kind of contagion. So that's why Pope Francis says, they understood that no one is saved alone. How many people daily exercise patience and offer hope, taking care to spread not panic, but shared responsibility, shared responsibility. How many fathers, mothers, grandparents, teachers are showing our children in small everyday ways how to accept and deal with a crisis by adjusting their routines, looking ahead and encouraging the practice of prayer? How many are praying, making sacrifices and, and interceding for the good of all, he says. That's from his encyclical. So we too now have to ask Joseph to patiently accept this situation with grace, with good humor, with understanding. Our father used an expression that, I'm, honestly I don't know where it, where it comes from, but I remember uh, Don Javier quoting from it, that our, our father said that St. Joseph was the saint of the shrugging of the shoulders. The shrugging of the shoulders. Right? Now, the shrugging of the shoulders can, can be read as being, uh, I don't care, I don't care. But it wasn't a shrugging of the shoulders of, I don't care. It's more of a, what can we do? What can we do? We have to accept the situation. We have to embrace it. Uh, I can't control everything. I can't micromanage everything. It's a kind of, I don't know, you know, oh, well, this is what happens, right? And we adjust our routines, we accept, we don't complain. Maybe the shrugging of the shoulders is a kind of a anti-complaining motion, right? It's not an expression of I don't care. It's an act in some ways of abandonment. Abandonment. I can't control everything, but I accept it with responsibility and I face it down. I face this down. I feel responsible for the others. I feel the weight of my work, of my service. And in his letter, the Pope has several adjectives that he applies to St. Joseph and they are like, like set subheadings in his encyclical letter. It's not a very long letter. But he's got beautiful subheadings, all titles, you could say, that, that uh, apply to St. Joseph. He is a beloved father, meaning he was loved. He says, but a tender and loving father, meaning he actively loved others. He is an obedient father, as we know from his response to the angels. He is an accepting father. That's maybe the shrugging of the shoulders part. He is... A creatively courageous father. We see that in the flight into Egypt. A working father and a father in the shadows. Those are all the subtitles to his text. A working father. That's the one perhaps that appeals to us. And the Pope mentions that in 1891, 
Pope Leo XIII wrote that famous uh, encyclical, Rerum Novarum, which was really the first social encyclical in which he was um, seeing the whole situation uh, of uh, Europe and the Industrial Revolution, how many people were coming in from the countryside into the cities and kind of many being exploited in the factories and the hard work and the miserable living conditions that they many people lived in the cities. And all these were all things that really deeply concerned him because there were people exploiting these people. There was, a, there was just things that, you know, uh, changes in the relationship between master and workman and how just a very few individuals would get very, very rich and the mass of uh, workers and stuff would, would stay super poor, right? They would get a pittance in terms of a, a wage, and this is what led Pope Leo XIII to write that famous encyclical. He was very struck by the utter poverty of the masses and also the moral uh, degeneracy that was starting to uh, happen in, in writings and, in, and just in the behavior of people. It was really a time of upheaval just in the way people worked. The, the nature of work in some way had changed deeply. And so Pope Francis, in response to this, says that St. Joseph was a carpenter who earned an honest living to provide for his family. From him, Jesus learned the value, the dignity, and the joy of what it means to eat bread that is the fruit of one's labor. And, well, this is what we have to somehow rediscover. And the Pope talks about the plague of unemployment, how people, because of the, well, the pandemic and many other reasons, uh, don't have jobs, and the unemployment rate, rate rises, and, uh, and it's become quite acute in many, many countries. And, uh, of course, he says then, which is key for us, that work is a way of participating uh, in the work of salvation. It's an opportunity to hasten the coming of the kingdom, to develop our talents, develop our abilities, he says, to put them at the service of society and fraternal uh, communion. And it becomes an opportunity uh, for the fulfillment, not only of oneself, he says, but of the family, the primary cell of society, the family. So I know that work is good. We've been told this. But maybe I'm getting kind of tired sometimes. Maybe uh, I just want to find rest for myself. Or I get maybe overly obsessed by doing it a certain way. We can ask St. Joseph, do I fall into perfectionism or voluntarism? Just, I want it this way, it's got to be that way. You know? Or I'm overly distracted in my work. Okay. And am I doing like Joseph? participating in the work of redemption. This is what we must ask ourselves uh, during this recollection. Am I really participating in the work of redemption? Do I realize that I have an opportunity to do that? Perhaps you recall that anecdote I may have told you about our founder, St. Josemaria, how 
One time he was in Spain, in, uh, in Pamplona, in a, in a center that I was at uh, many years ago, but he was there and there was a, there was a get-together with many students, and uh, it was a fairly large room, and it was very hot in the summer, so the windows were open to get uh, some breeze in. But as he was speaking and people were listening to what he was saying, um, from the window, from outside, you could hear workers talking and hammering and, and making noise, right? And so uh, it was kind of sometimes hard to hear what he was saying. And so um, somebody gestured to the person next to the window, go, go close that window, you know, go close that window, because they couldn't exactly hear St. Maria. And when St. Maria saw that, he said, no, 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 leave the window open. To me, I love the sound of workers doing their duty and working hard because those guys are participating in the work of redemption. They're doing their work, they're doing their duty, and, uh, well, they got to make noise, they got to hammer, they got to drill, they got to do stuff. Uh, shrugging of the shoulders, what can you do? <laughs> and um, and it, it opened a light to many people that that we shouldn't be annoyed by those things of work that we sometimes get annoyed at. And if we do get annoyed, maybe we've forgotten the real value of that work. And uh, let's, let's open up this new chapter in our life on how work can really be truly an occasion of sanctification for me. What are you asking of me, Lord? We heard about... Guadalupe Ortiz de Landazuri at the beatification and when she was officially declared blessed she was classified among the saints or among the blessed and anytime the church elevates somebody to the altars they elevate them as something they are, they are this, they are, they are a virgin they are religious, they are a martyr they are a priest or whatever they may be Right. so she was not categorized as a virgin not as a religious but simply a saint. Like, that was like the generic, all-purpose title. Blessed Guadalupe, comma, saint. It didn't say martyr. Of course, she wasn't martyr. You know, maybe, maybe one day there'll be, you know, blessed whoever, comma, worker. Worker, right? Because uh, who says that only virgins or only religious or only priests or whatever uh, participate in the redemption? One day it'll be, comma, worker. But now she's just a generic saint. So, but for us, we know there's no real qualifications needed ultimately because she is very deep, uh, briefly described in her official biography on the Vatican and she's described as a chemist, right? And uh, she studied this, she was at the top of her class and um, she was one of the few people who would teach chemistry and um, she garnered, you know, a special teaching position. So she was a chemist, and she loved to figure out the chemical reactions that took place in, if you mix this, and you mix, okay, what's the chemical reaction that takes place when you do that, right? If you mix this liquid with that other, what happens? The color changes, the heat it goes up, or uh, in other words, there are external changes to the chemicals that we mix. And uh, maybe the viscosity, the color, the inner properties even. 
And so she loved to discover the inner truth of things, of the chemical makeup of things. And at one point, she had been touched by grace. As she went into that church, she was touched by grace and she understood that she had a vocation. She didn't know what it was exactly. She did not know why. But our father got to know her and taught her to pray and entered into that, that inner chemical reaction that took place, you could say, in her soul. And of course, her whole life, she maintained a fascination with chemistry. This was the backbone of what she sanctified. But of course, we know she also administered centers. Uh, she did the laundry. And she rec recognizes she was not particularly endowed with this. Uh, but she learned and uh, she developed a sense of professionalism. And uh, she, she transmitted this to those uh, around her. That, that was a beautiful expression of leadership. In other words, the people that worked with her kind of got better at doing that work than she herself was. And that's a sign that she must have encouraged them. You, oh, you did a good job here. You did an amazing job. You know, what else, how else can I help you? And, and she made the people around her feel deeply valued. Today in businesses, sometimes the managers, they micromanage because they don't let the people do what they, what they know themselves know better how to do. And so they do it themselves. Or if the person is not up to scratch, they will say, look, if you know, the numbers don't improve, I can't guarantee your, your position here. You're just going to have to, you're just going to have to do better. What does that do to the self-esteem of, of the worker? It just says, why should I come here, right? Uh, so, and it, it makes it more difficult for that person to really see his work as a work of redemption or contributing to the work of redemption. So we can learn from St. Joseph and, well, we can learn a lot from Guadalupe as well. And um, the most essential truth of all all is the truth uh, that happens really in our own soul, in our own life. And something in her that was completely different from the chemical processes that she understood, she now happened, and that this was the substance of her life that she wanted to be contributing to the redemption. And uh, she stayed the same on all external appearances, but inside she, she changed. And, uh, you know, something lit up within her. So let us, let us really ask St. Joseph to, to light up a flame within us when we work. So that it's like a, like a flame, a burning light within us as we do our job, as, as we do our obligations, uh, as we come home in the evening, as we rest that we do this out of love, that we do this as a, with a deep conviction that, that even though it's difficult, even though my back hurts, even though my, my fingers uh, are getting worn out uh, or I can smell the dirty rags, 
And as I'm cleaning, and it's not a pleasant smell, I am somehow contributing to the redemption. And we can only do that if there's a light that has been lit within our, within our soul. That's the opposite of complacency. Just, well, I got to do this, I got to clean this. Or, you know, no complacency in our life, no complacency in our work, no complacency in family life. Especially when we receive the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit who enters into our soul. Let's ask this of St. Joseph, who will help us, who will guide us, who will light up a fire in our soul and make us truly participants, active participants in the redemption. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.